Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Killian, I'll be back. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, The Running Man. Beware spoilers. Coming to you from ICS Studios, my name is Don, and to my right we have our comic book guy, John. It's showtime. And to my left we have the professor, Ken. Hey, cutie pie. You know, one of us is in deep trouble. You know who I am? Yeah, you're the asshole on that podcast. That's funny. I was going to say the same thing about you. <laughs> well done, Professor. Well done. Uh, how you guys doing tonight? Well done. I-, I am revved up and ready to go. All right. Tonight is round two of our search for the greatest 80s action flick out there. Last week, we kicked it all off with Cobra. And this week, we are talking about the 1987 Running Man, which was released on November 13th, 1987. It was directed by Paul Michael Glazer, the screenplay by Stephen E. D'Souza, based on the book by The Running Man, by Stephen King, under the pen name of Richard Bachman. And it stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, Maria Cachita Alonso, Yafet Kodo, Richard Dawson, and a bunch of other actors. So The Running Man, I think, was on all of our lists. And we put those lists together uh, after we had come up with some criteria for uh, what we would consider the greatest 80s action movie. And just to give you a quick rundown, the criteria for the three guys' greatest 80s action flicks are a muy macho hero with quotable one-liners played by a recognizable star, over-the-top villain, a montage sequence, over-the-top chase scenes, epic fight scenes, a villain speech or monologue, a final showdown, and oh crap death for our bad guy, franchise potential, around a 90-minute runtime, and a high body count. So when we think of The Running Man, I mean, it check marks a bunch of these boxes, doesn't it? I think it almost almost hits all of them. I don't recall if there's a montage sequence there anywhere is in this movie. Nor is there a, uh, a, a uh, over-the-top chase scene. I kind of consider the running, some of the running scenes, like when he's being chased by Dynamo, but it's not, like you're saying, it's not an over-the-top kind of running scene. No, not at all. Not a good chase scene. When we talk about 80s action movies, uh, the the writer, Stephen E. D'Souza, he is definitely a giant in this field. He has a lot of writing credits under his belt. He is responsible for 48 Hours in 82, uh, Commando in 85, Die Hard in 88, Die Hard 2 in 90, Another 48 Hours in 90, Beverly Hills Cop 3 in 94, and there's a lot of other ones, but he is Mr. Action Movie Guy, so we should be hearing this name again. 
Yeah, we'll definitely hear his name again. And I just kind of want to bring up real quick. Last week, we talked about Cobra, which Stallone did the screenplay. And here we have a seasoned guy who, you know, has written many screenplays, especially for action. And I tell you, I can tell the difference night and day on it. No shit. You know what I mean? No shit. Um, it, so it, it is a whole level above. How did this movie do, Don? This movie was made for $27 million, and it brought in $38 million. I find that so hard to believe that Cobra brought in $160 million, and this movie only brought in $38 million? Running Man was released in November, and they and and the the uh, the the studios they were familiar with this right, and also it's the temperance of the audience. The audience in general, they weren't going for action movies. The the top action movie for 1987 was Lethal Weapon, and that came in at number eight. The rest of them, mostly comedies. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop Two, uh, Three Men and a Baby, and most of the top ten movies they were comedies, and and so there doesn't seem to be that much of an appetite in the audience for action movies at this time. Yeah. Yeah. So that would explain the box office. Uh, I don't want to say failure, but I mean, looking at it, tepidness. Yeah. They made $11 million over, uh, more than it cost to make it. That's not, I mean, that's still a loss. Well, right? I feel bad for their producer. I guess his name is George Linder. He sold his company to finance this movie. Oh, there are hundreds of producers that have sold their company to finance movies and it never pays off. But yeah, that's got to suck. This movie could have been really different depending on who they cast as Ben Richards. Of course, they went with Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I guess up for the role was also Dolph Lundgren, Don Johnson, and Christopher Reeve. Oh, really? Could you see any of them playing this role? I think the only one that pops out at me uh, to play Ben Richards at the time would have been Christopher Reeve. I think you know. that would have been a real interesting take with him because he always was so good at playing kind of that innocent-looking character, kind of that, you know, put into this mess. I also feel like the Christopher Reeve would have fit better with Stephen King's interpretation of Ben Richards in the book. The movie took a lot of liberties with it. I think that it took me by surprise when I did watch it. Uh, you know, it says uh, based on the book by Richard Bachman. And then, you know, come to find out that Richard Bachman is Stephen King. I'm like, oh, this is a Stephen King story, you know. Uh, but I think kind of like with all the other Stephen King stories, I think the book probably goes into detail that's really hard to make cinematic so when they turned it into a movie and to make it the way they did you can see the essence of stephen king's book in it but i think that the filmmakers did right by making what we got the interesting thing regarding you just brought up the differences between the movie and the book version which i guess they announced in 2021 they're remaking the running man and it's going to be closer to the book version of course they are and in the book version, of course, the you know the mo the book takes place in 2025. You know, I already mentioned that uh, Ben Richards is a scrawny guy. He's out of work. He can't make money for his family, so he agrees to go on to the Running Man show. He's not drafted in. He's not forced in. He agrees to it. In the book, it also that the Running Man takes place over 30 days, where you get paid for pretty much every hour you live while hunters hunt you anywhere in the world. And one of the requirements is you have to send in twice a day 
video cassettes of you, like or videotaping recordings of you, uh, just doing some kind of dialogue to show that you're still out there and still alive. So it follows this character all over the place while he's hunted by you know these hunters and just regular citizens are after him as well because they can make money for catching him. So it's an interesting storyline. It kind of makes me want to go and read the book now. One thing I really like about the movie is it was different from other, I think, action movies out there. It was nice to kind of see this this game show kind of look and feel. It was almost a game show slash video game. And it went on to inspire TV shows like American Gladiator. I yeah. loved American Gladiator. You guys ever watched that? Oh, yeah, I used time. to watch it, yeah. I dug that show in a big way. Yeah. Uh, Jesse, the body venturer's character, always reminding me of the American Gladiator. And I'm sure that's probably what they based it on. Mm-hmm. Captain so, Freedom. Captain Freedom. <clears throat> All right, what else you guys want to talk about? We said the cast. Oh, this also stars Maria Cachita Alonso. I rem- I think when I think of her, I think of two films. I think of Colors with Sean Penn and mm-hmm. Robert Duvall, and I think of Predator Two. Uh, she and Danny Glover take on the Predator, which who was also taken on by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was in this movie with Yafet Kodo from Alien fame. Um, and Richard Dawson from The Family Feud. I will always remember him from Hogan's Heroes. That's where I go to first. Oh, see, I go to Family Feud. I get that because that, that was, you know, his uh, longest run. Yeah, but you're, yeah, Hogan's Heroes, now that you say that. For back, sure. back when for sure. the host could actually like make out with the contestants. Oh, my God, that's so funny. Yeah, he would kiss them all the time. Yeah. And, you know, the, uh, I wonder if it was fun for him to play a rated R version of that. Because I mean, he's the same guy, right? When he's on the show for the Running Man, but in the in the in the studio or in backstage, you know, get the fucking guy. Or I mean, he's just kind of a dick. I guess they went and talked to they interviewed people who worked with him behind the scenes at Family Feud, and they said when he wasn't on camera when he was backstage, he was Killian from Running Man. That's exactly how he was. Oh, that's funny. Richard Dawson admitted to that as well. He says that's. More or less. That's pretty much me. <laughs> uh, this film was directed by Paul Michael Glazer. Uh, and if that name sounds familiar to you, he was Starsky from Starsky and Hutch. Totally. I fucking love Starsky and Hutch. Well, I think also the fact of he created one of the other you know, greatest movies ever made, The Cutting Edge. The Wait, hang on. The ice skating one? <laughs> the ice skating one. I'm kidding. No, he's not. I know he's not. That's why I'm fucking looking at him like this. The fucking cutting edge? The cutting edge? The greatest, well, the second greatest ice skating movie ever made. What's the first greatest ice skating movie ever made? Blades of Glory. You guys know who did the music for this? Harold Faltemeyer. Right? Right on. You 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 saw his name and you went, what the fuck? Absolutely. I totally did. Because back in 87 when I saw this, there was no way, you know, that would have rung a bell to me. Probably not then. But now... You look at it and you go, oh, Harold Faltemeyer. And what did we just watch that he did? Top Gun. Okay, there you go. Um, yeah, so Harold Faltemeyer is always fun in a, in a fucking 80s movie. By 2017, the United States has become a totalitarian police state following a worldwide economic collapse and the recent election. The government pacifies the populace through violent TV shows, its most popular being The Running Man a broadcast game show where criminals fight for their lives as runners, 
fleeing from armed mercenaries named Stalkers to earn a government pardon. Ben Richards, a police helicopter pilot, is framed for a massacre during a food riot in Bakersfield, California. He is arrested by his colleagues and put in a labor camp. 18 months later, he escapes with two resistance fighters, Harold Weiss and William Laughlin, finding refuge in their camp led by their leader, Mick. The resistance group looked to hijack the ICS Broadcast Network's uplink facility to expose the government's lies. Richard declines to help, then heads to his brother's apartment, finding it now occupied by Amber Mendez, a composer, learning his brother was sent to a re-education camp. So we open on this red-backed word scroll. What do you think of that word scroll? Being a graphic designer by day, had to love the font type. Oh my God, dude, the font type made me want to gouge my eyes out. It was so, like... 80s i mean that it was commodore 64 yeah I you mean, know what i mean it just reminded you of everything pixelated and computery back then it reminded me of escape from new york mm-hmm. and i don't know if the graphics are the same or whatnot but escape from new york came out in 81 82 and if you're telling me that our graphics didn't get better by 87 i mean come on right they, they looked a little silly Right, and then I I don't mind when movies open with scrolls so much, and it does set the narrative and kind of gives us an idea of where we're at when the movie starts. Um, but yeah, it was a little. It was a, I don't want to say hokey. Um, it, it felt like an '80s arcade. Yeah. Game. Yeah. And uh, the way the Running Man looked. Yeah. It, oh, absolutely. You know, plunk my quarter into the machine, and that's going to be scrolling on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of an impression that it gave me. I kind of mentioned earlier that. This movie was, you know, part game show, but also part like a, you know, real life video game. And that's the kind of what I got from that title sequence. Yeah, it gave us a lot of information. And in a way, it's kind of nice that we could be immediately plopped into this alternate reality, courtesy of reading a few moments of text. Normally, I don't like them that much, but a really quick way to jump us into our alternate future. Oh, 100%. So we get to meet our protagonist, uh, Ben Richard, played by the ever-wonderful Arnold Schwarzenegger. What did you guys think of this whole helicopter sequence? I thought it was pretty well done. I mean, just throwing us right in there. Yeah, okay, sir. I thought it was all right. Uh, You have a couple of different camera angles, and so it felt very in-studio shot-wise. First thing I thought was, how the fuck do you overtake a helicopter from the pilot without crashing the fucking helicopter. That was, they they fought in that helicopter like uh, they were in a gym or something. It looked like they just had a lot of room to be throwing uh, all these punches around. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it was okay, I guess. My biggest issue, though, with this scene was Arnold acting. Screw you. I will not fire on helpless... Just, the, the, the guy who told him that he would see him in hell acted better in that scene, I thought, than Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there now because, again, this is not probably, not to spoil anything, listeners, this is probably not the only Arnold Schwarzenegger movie we're going to get. But I'm just going to throw this out there. Not a very good actor, you know. But so, we don't go to see him act, I guess. We go not, to see the one-liners and to see him kill people. Yeah, and the the fun that we have with his movies, right? So at at some point when you're watching an Arnold movie, you just have to accept that he's not the greatest of actors. 
you know, let it go and let's move on and are try you, to enjoy the ride. Are you telling me he wasn't Oscar worthy for Conan the Barbarian? He and was so, robbed. And so we find out that uh, the government wants Ben Richards to fire on a bunch of innocent people, but he won't do it. So he gets attacked in the helicopter by his own men, gets knocked out, and we wake up 18 months later in prison. What do you think of this prison, the settings? Well, as soon as we get to the prison and they're putting the dead body into the wheelbarrow, you know, right after it says uh, that it's the wheelchair detention zone 18 months later, we get the body put into the wheelbarrow. And then on the screen, it says Maria Conchita Alonso. Wait, what? Oh, it's credits. Boy, that really threw me for a loop. You are 100% uh, correct, Professor. We are still in the opening credits, and we've already learned the state of the world and why Ben Richards has gone to prison. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Can, can I just say one thing about that wheelbarrow, situ- that scene? Did it not feel like Bring Out Your Dead from uh, Monty Python? No. I just felt like Bring Out Your Dead and load them all in the little cart to take away. I got to be honest with both of you guys. I don't even remember the fucking Wilbur scene. I I also remember the guy. The, Wait, the bald which movie? Guy. <laughs> Running Man. You don't remember <laughs> the guy being loaded into the wheelbarrow? Yeah, it's in the very beginning when they open on the or it's when they open on the prison, right? Yeah, it's just going on in yeah. the foreground. And they say some line about well, this guy's had it or yeah, got another one down or something. Yeah, because this is the point where uh, you know we kind of learn where they're at and they have these devices around their necks. The prisoners have the, the kill callers and they have the zones, right? And uh, they have a red light and a green light and red light, green light. And so the, the prisoners decide that they want to escape. Weiss, he, he spies the uh, code to deactivate the, uh, the uh, kill zone. Right. And for, so, for the kill callers. Right. And so they need a distraction. So Richards and Laughlin, they start duking it up. And one of your classic movie tropes where the two guys get into a fight for a distraction. I, I, I found this scene kind of comical because the the prisoners, they, they get the upper hand and Weiss makes it to the terminal and he's typing in the correct code, but it keeps saying... Denied. Denied. Originally, they made it sound like it was because he was indoors. I always took it, you know, after the first time I saw this movie, that the guy that is outside where he has a computer thing is just constantly denying it. He's resetting it up every time. Oh, so it's like he's unlocking it and he's locking it. He's unlocking it. it it That's what I think it is. Okay. Okay. So then I'll forgive that. We see a couple of oh so brief flashes of green and then it goes denied. And it's not until that the guy on the other side is shot and killed that they are able to successfully deactivate it. Right. What did you guys think of Chico running through the minefield? Did you guys think he was going to make it? Oh, no, no. You knew that this was only reason to have Chico in there was to show what happens when the kill collars explode. What did you guys think of the head bursting? It looked good. It was a a pretty good. It looked very practical. So they managed to get the collars off and they escaped the prison. And they go their separate ways. Uh, but first, they go. Don't they go to the resistance? This is where they go to. This is where we meet Mick and Stevie. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are in the resistance, and Mick is played by <laughs> Mick Fleetwood, and Stevie is played by Dweezil Zappa, Frank mm-hmm. Zappa's son. 
Now, I thought it was interesting, this Mick, you know, Mick character, in that he talks about, you're one of those cops who, you know, locked up all my friends and burned my music. So, from what I've been kind of reading, a lot of people have suggested he was playing himself in the movie. He was playing that he was a musical artist. And you notice his sidekick was Stevie, as in Stevie Nicks. Yeah, well, uh, I think uh, Mick Fleetwood asked whoever, probably uh, Starsky, um, can we name uh stevie stevie after stevie nicks mm-hmm. so um yeah little little tidbits here and there so they go to the resistance and they tell arnold you know this is how we're fighting why don't you join us whatever and arnold's like no nah, this is your war i don't fucking want to deal with it i'm leaving right they get their collars off and they go their separate ways and then richard goes to his brother's apartment and he and this is where he meets um Amber, Amber Mendes. Well, well, the funniest thing is, first of all, he goes to his apartment, his brother's apartment, and she's been there for a month, but the code is still the same on the door. And did you see what the code was on the door? Two, two, two. No, it was two, two, three, four. three, four, four. Right, right in the line. I thought it was four, four, five, five, six, six. Maybe it was, it was something like that. It was something stupid. Yeah, it was the it was the middle three digits. Yeah, four, four, five, five, six. Two six. times, two times each. So yeah. Right at the same time, we also get our first introduction of Killian. We get the, the, the limousine pulling up, and he greets the, the masses outside the building. The big thing was, I think, the janitor who accidentally puts the mop, and he trips over it and then says, if that whole asshole's still mopping the floors, you will be later. That's how we get our first introduction of who Killian is. An egotistical asshole. And then after we meet Amber... Uh, finds out that his brother doesn't live there and hasn't lived there for the last month. He's been sent to re-education camp. And uh, I got to know, and not that I'm complaining, but do you think that women work out in laundry? I sure hope so. Well, I'll tell you, there is a lot of uh, sexual exploitation throughout in this movie. Yeah. Wasn't that what the 80s kind of was all about? Yeah, I mean... We I- had, like... You know, all those workout tapes and... Oh, yeah. No, I mean, 80s was definitely the decade of, you know, sexual exploitation. Um, but I was just curious because I kind of chuckled to myself. She, she was doing her workouts and she was just in lingerie. I was... I don't know why. She's there in the lingerie and I'm more focused on Jesse the Body Ventura leading that workout as Captain Freedom. That says so much about you, John, that I, I don't even know if we have the time to... to dig into that so arnold emerges from the shower clean and fresh and he uh clean shaven he asks amber you know what's going on this is my brother's house what are you doing here and uh she's like screw you he ties her up to the workbench uh what you guys think of this whole bit with uh amber and ben he ruined her floor why when he lifted her up the uh, oh I know yeah the he, workout he thing. lifted it right out of the fucking floor yeah what do you say he said something like uh, I'll, I'll, I'll ask nicely I'll or ask something nicely oh that's right <laughs> and then we're back to Killian and he happens to spot Killian happens to spot uh, Richards on a tape and he's looking for some fresh talent for the show yeah and that's that's gonna set up our plot line of getting Ben Richards as the running man. I did like how the lady is going through the list of possible contestants and she brings up, you know, well, there was those three guys who made the suicide pact. Did they follow through? No. Then they're not reliable. 
Yeah, he didn't want to use them because they weren't. Lo- and I love when they're going through the pictures. And one of them was like baby face something or other, and it was just an actual baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, put him on the show. Yeah. And then we also in this bit get to meet Killian's bodyguard, uh, which is named Sven. Sven, yeah, Sven. And he was just recently in another movie that we just reviewed. Well, he's been in a lot of Arnold movies. Right, but he was but we just reviewed a movie that he was in. That was my that's my point. That's what I was getting at. Would you so, mean Mallrats? Uh, he was uh LaFleur's in Mallrats. Oh. Yeah. But I think he might be in every Arnold movie. Did you kind of feel like he needed the hat for Mallrats? For I, I kind of did. I kind of I when I was watching it I'm like, "Oh, he needs his hat." That that could have been his thing like for, for the rest of the movies. Yeah, every movie he's in for, you know, all the time he should have had that hat. Yeah. And so we have Schwarzenegger putting himself up and he's got a plan that he's going to go to Hawaii. And so she, Amber, is going to help him get to Hawaii. And so off to the airport they go. Richard takes Mendez hostage to flee to Hawaii, but is arrested at the airport when Mendez alerts security. Richards meets Damon Killian, the charismatic but ruthless host of The Running Man. Killian coerces Richards to participate in the show in exchange for Weiss and Laughlin's freedom. Meanwhile, Amber sees a new report that Richards killed people at the airport, which she knows to be untrue. However, as the game begins, Killian sends all three men into the game show Arena, an abandoned part of Los Angeles. They are attacked by Professor Sub-Zero, but Richards garrets him with a piece of razor wire fencing, making it the first time a stalker has died on the show. So as you were mentioning, uh, Professor Richards and uh, Amber, they go to the airport and you get a lot of uh, little quips that Arnold busts out here as well. And and this was kind of the part where I thought, "Eh, he's kind of charming in in this little bit. I'm going to throw up all over you. Fine. It's not my shirt. No. Fine. They won't show on this shirt. Now what's the fucking difference? I like the line that he delivers just before they get up to the counter. He has his hand on her shoulder, then he moves it up to her neck, and he says, remember, I can break your neck like a chicken. He also says, I think when the guy's scanning her, you know, her badge, or his badge, and then looking through her purse, women can't live with them, can't live with them. Yeah, he, uh, he's, he's definitely putting on a show, right? But here's my thing. Is it weird that every time he's with Amber or he, you know... The way he grabs her around the neck, I don't know. That just seems weird to me. I don't know if I even, you know, I know later on they kind of start hooking up or whatever, but did you buy them as a couple at all? No, and that's kind of where I was going with this. I like Arnold Schwarzenegger as an action star. I like him as our hero. Uh, fuck, I even like him when he's the villain. What I do not like him as as a, is romantic, a romantic lead. lead. Yeah. The only exception I will say is I thought he did well in True Lies. Uh, yeah, it's debatable. So Amber causes a fuss, and then Richards gets apprehended. And the next thing you know, he is meeting Killian. Well, here's my first thought before he meets Killian. You know, he got knocked out in the helicopter because, well, he almost fell out of the helicopter. He uh, easily, did he? <laughs> he? He easily gets taken at the airport, yet all these stalkers can't take him. You know, why don't they just shoot him with a net gun? That seems to be his, you know, vulnerable spot there. That's his kryptonite? Yeah, I don't know. He just seems to be easily captured and all this stuff. Yet, in zone, he kicks ass. 
Yeah, well, if he gets captured too early, bud, we don't have a movie. Come on, you know that. I just thought at the airport he'd put up a little more of a fight. Uh, I thought at the airport when they get discovered and he's running away, I'm thinking, where the fuck does he go? And then I don't know what it is or what it was, but when I was watching it last night, when he's running down the tarmac, didn't it remind you of Commando? Kind of. It kind of, it reminded me of Commando a little bit. And then Arnold doesn't make a good running face. I mean, he looked like he was trying to take a shit. And so the, the truck comes up from behind him, shoots him with the net gun, and he's captured. And he lands up with having a meeting with Killian. And, you know, Killian, being a diabolical fucker, says, look, if you don't want to do the running man, that's fine. You don't have to. You'll go to jail, whatever. However, someone is going to do the running man. And if you don't do it, Laughlin and Weiss are going to do it. And so... You know, for not wanting to get into their resistance and not wanting to be part of their gang, he he says, all right, fuck, I'll do it. If they if that means that they don't have to do it, I'll do it. So that kind of shows you what kind of character that uh, Richards is. You knew right away Killian was going to screw him. Oh, absolutely. There's never any doubt in my mind that when this sort of deal happens, uh, there's always going to be a double cross, right? What did you think of the network appointed agent? He was slimy and a network agent. I love how he signs his name on the document. Vic, you know, victim, use my back. Yeah. And Bang, then, right into the, yeah. the pen. That's probably not the first time Arnold's done that. And I love the, the look that Sven gives. Sven doesn't even try to help the agent. He just gives a look like, oh, crap. Sven throughout this whole fucking thing doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. And that's what I kind of dig about him. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, they get Arnold ready. They put him into this little pod. And then right before he leaves, he finds out that Killian fucked him. And his buddies are uh, waiting to go down uh, into the arena with him. And then this is where we get, uh, you know, Arnold's famous line. His line that I think he uses in almost every movie he's in. You know, the I'll be back line. But I think this is the best comeback to this line it's the only time i can remember someone having a comeback to his line i think you're right with that but it's fucking brilliant arnold says killian i'll be back and killian just brilliantly says only in reruns and sends him on his way so you know as far as bad guys go i think killian he's he's okay i mean i don't hate him i would almost say that killian is one of the best bad guys with his own set of one-liners you don't see too many villains with just classic, rememberable one-liners like this. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we'll have to see what other kind of villains we yeah. get into. During this time, we also get to meet uh, the Running Man audiences. We see two types of society. We have the the audience. We have the the people in studios where they're having a, a big old party. And then we see the, uh, the masses outside in the dark and in the cold. And we get to see this very, very uh, sparse. Uh, there's nobody in the middle. There's either the haves or the have nots. Right. And as this story unfolds, it, I think paints a good example of a dystopian future where you definitely have either you are suffering or you are living very high on the hog. What'd you think of the choreography in this movie? You mean with the dancers? It looked like eighties choreography. Do you know who choreographed it? Paula Abdul. Yeah. That's why it looked very eighties. I think because she did a lot of choreography 
I just fucking guessed on that. And she actually used uh, her Laker girlfriends. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it, 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 was very, it looks very polished. I'd also like to point out that during this time, we are having our characters, you know, with this betting that is happening, it is important that we also understand the disparity that these people are, are gambling on people's lives and how worked up they are in watching this show. I, I thought it was really interesting how Paul Michael Glazer was able to capture the intensity in these crowds of people. And I, I thought he did a pretty darn good job of the cadence of, of selling it as feeling like a game show. It really felt like a game show to me a lot of the ways through the movie whenever it was showing crowds. They also captured the fact of Mrs. Miller, who was the old lady who he mentioned that was like his number one fan. She was actually modeled off of a character who used to go to the Merv Griffin show and would appear on or would be in the audience of every single one of his shows as his number one fan. So they even brought that element into this movie. Sure. So the game starts and uh, Ben gets shot through this tunnel, which was pretty cool, you know, and it flies down uh, and it takes you to the arena and there are four quadrants that you have to survive. And if you survive, you get your government pardon. And so now, now the game has started. I only have one question about this whole tunnel scene. What the fuck were the mirrors for? I don't know. I, it always threw me every time, you know, you have the mirror, you know, you see him coming and then boom, he shoots right by the mirror. That, yeah, that was odd. Was it just for the camera shot? Potentially, I guess. But I don't know. That fucking uh, mirror seemed out of place. I'd be curious to see how they filmed that, that whole tube scene. Yeah. I was wondering when their face looks like it's being pushed back, if that was makeup or if they put them in like a gyroscope or something. to get. No, I, I think it had to have been makeup. Makeup, yeah. yeah. And then everything behind them was on a, a rear projection, it mm-hmm. looked like. So who knows? Um, so they get launched out in the f- uh, into the first quadrant. And in the meantime, while they get started to run, the audience gets to pick the stalkers. And is it Mrs. Miller who picks the first one? No, it was uh, some other woman that picks it. Right. And so they have... Because uh, he's a big cuddly teddy bear or something like that. That's right. And people kept telling you, oh, she starts off by saying, my husband wants me to pick this. My kids want me to pick this guy. Um, so who is there? There is Sub-Zero. Dynamo. Buzzsaw. Fireball. Captain Freedom, and who's Captain in retirement. Freedom, right, mm-hmm. so we have five stalkers all together. That sounds right. Okay. Although they showed a whole locker room full of guys, but One, I think two, those were the main three. ones. So Sub-Zero gets picked, and uh, he goes down to the... Now, that's Professor Sub-Zero. Oh, I'm sorry. Professor Sub-Zero gets picked, and he is in the arena now. So this is the first fight scene we get to have uh, with the stalkers versus the running guys. Uh, what did you think of this whole bit? I thought it was okay. It was it was an okay way to start. It, it I, I, I wasn't captivated by it. I found it, again, kind of like, I thought it was a good death scene for the stalker. But other than that, I didn't think there was that much tension in the scene. No, and I got to be honest, uh, a lot of these fights with the stalkers are kind of underwhelming. You know what I mean? They have mm-hmm. this great idea, this dystopian future, this really cool game show. I thought Buzzsaw's fight was a little bit better. I thought, oh of, of all the fights, I thought his was the best one. Well, we haven't got there yet. Yeah. Um, but this one, I felt, was kind of cheesy. 
it was kind of corny, like when he's skating with uh, Weiss on his on his hockey stick, mm-hmm. and then he shoots him into the fucking goal. What really? That that net should have had uh, spikes. Spike exactly spikes or something that come out, and that's how you because they're trying to kill him, right? And then uh, you know the way Richards dispatches him, he takes the barbed wire, and mm-hmm. and that's kind of cool. The, the setup was clunky, and it just they were they were flapping around on the ice, and it just it just wasn't a very compelling action piece to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna have to you know. I'm going to have to hold that against it. So maybe it would have been better on roller skates? Or not on roller skates or ice skates or any type of skates. How about that? Well, the actor who played uh, Sub-Zero, one of the reasons why they called him Professor Sub-Zero is because he used to be a wrestler called the Professor. And I think it would have been better to do a scene where basically maybe like a wrestling scene or something else. Don't put him on this big guy on ice skates, you know, with such a, like you said, a very clumsy scene. But it had an okay one-liner after he was dead. He's a pain in the neck. He was a real pain in the neck. <laughs> I think we might have gotten one-liner overkill here because uh, Arnold starts it with, uh, this is Sub-Zero, now Plane Zero. I like that one. And so this is the first time that a stalker has been killed and everybody's in fucking shock. Uh, the studio audience is silent. Killian doesn't know what to fucking think. And I do like the shot of Yafet and Arnold walking down the hallway and then giving each other five. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, yeah, motherfucker. I kept thinking, you know, when they talked about there had been three winners previously, how do they determine a winner? Do they just have to get through the zone and past the stalker? Or didn't they have to kill the stalker? So maybe you just have to get through the zone and you're clear. Well, considering that, no one ever won. Um, but they must have shown, you know, mapped it so that it looked like these people won. Yeah, maybe. I think it's like a finish line. I think it was probably yeah. a race, right? Because if this is the first stalker to die, you know. Mm-hmm. Or you're pointing out a major plot hole. Who knows? Oh, there is another major plot hole, and I'll point that out later. Oh, I'm sure there's more than one. Also, during this time, we have Amber snooping around, and <laughs> she opens up the drawer. Jesus. It was almost comical how, you know, the uh, the files were stored. You know, it might as well have said, you know, incriminating bad footage. Yeah. 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 The, uh, uh, Bakersfield Massacre, unedited. Yeah. Raw, one, fo- raw footage or something like yeah, that. One uh, Bakersfield, edited for TV. <laughs> you know, totally. Mendes finds the original unedited footage of the Bakersfield Massacre. However, she is caught and sent into the game zone. Joined by Mendez, Richards, Weiss, and Laughlin search for the uplink. Killian deploys two stalkers, Buzzsaw and Dynamo, to kill the four runners. Weiss and Laughlin find the uplink station and Mendez memorizes the access code. Buzzsaw mortally wounds Laughlin, but Richards bisects Buzzsaw with his own chainsaw. Dynamo electrocutes Weiss but is incapacitated by Richards, who spares the stalker. Laughlin tells Richards that the Resistance have a hidden base in the arena before dying from his wounds. Off the air, Killian offers Richards a position as a stalker, which the enraged Richards refuses. Hunted by Fireball, a stalker wielding a flamethrower, Mendez finds the corpse of the show's alleged past winners, revealing that the show's premise of a pardon are all false. Richards rescues Mendez and kills Fireball by sabotaging his gas tank and setting him alight with a road flare. Immediately afterward, the pair stumble into Mick's command center. So with Sub-Zero dead, 
they have to get some more stalkers out there. And so they send two. They send Dynamo and Buzzsaw. What did you guys think of these two clowns? Again, it went right back to this video game type feel, especially with Dynamo, the big electric guy. I guess he, in real life, uh, he had started out as an opera singer who became an actor. And I don't know what other roles he's done, but that was really him singing in the, in the movie. I like Buzzsaw. I, I thought that he was probably uh, what Running Man was supposed to look like. Yeah. That that type of a nemesis. Yeah. And uh, a lot of them had gimmicks, and I get that. But Dynamo was just covered in light brights. Mm-hmm. And it looked like he was covered in light brights. And what was that little car? And his little car mobile looked like it was fucking made from a Tonka truck. Or, I, or I love that. Playmobile his, or something. His, his shine, you know, his light bright uh, mohawk stuck out the top of the car. Oh my! Well, his whole head sto- stuck out of the fucking car, which I have a problem with. His neck should have snapped like a chicken. Like a fucking chicken. So yeah, they have to go after the runners. And in the meantime, Amber gets caught looking at the footage. She's snooping where she shouldn't be snooping. And uh, she gets sent into the area and she finds Richards and the other two. She caught up with him pretty darn fast. Pretty fucking fast. I'm not going to say there was a lot of convenient things in this film, but there were a lot of convenient fucking things well, in this film. Well, she took a shortcut. <laughs> was that what it was? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so they join forces. First, they have to find that uh, uplink code thing. We have Weiss and Amber split off, and then we have Laughlin and Richards split off. Right, and so Buzzsaw goes after Richards and Laughlin, and Dynamo goes after um, Mendez and Weiss. So Weiss and Mendez, they have to go look for the uplink code, right? So they could... uh, They're following all the... I guess the satellite dishes are all pointing towards the center of the zone. Right, Laughlin figures out that the, the signal's not going out, it's going in, and so they... This is where they need to to hijack the uplink this i think will be is pretty much my biggest gripe with this movie the biggest plot hole in the movie because weiss says you know he figures out so this is where it's been nobody ever comes in this area yet mick's hideout is in one of those zones you think they all would have been in that area and seen all that stuff the same stuff that weiss saw that they would have found that stuff if they their hideout is in the zone i know Again, I'm not going to say this movie's convenient when it needs to be convenient. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. So while Weiss and Mendez are trying to get the code, we cut back to uh, Laughlin and Arnold and Buzzsaw. And so we know that now we're going to kind of get uh, a good fight here. What did you guys think of this fight? For me, this was the best fight of the movie, I believe, in that, first of all, we have the whole motorcycle scene where he's coming at him at the motorcycle. He seemed more... I don't want to say scary, but more intense than any of the other ones. Because, yeah, he's got the chainsaw and the motorcycle, and he does some damage. I also thought that the motorcycle was appropriate for the terrain that they were battling in. That that motorcycle is pretty versatile to go someplace a lot faster than somebody running. Uh, This is where uh, Laughlin gets wounded. He does it by pushing Richards out of the way, which another classic trope. You know, sacrificing yourself for the hero. And then Arnold just kind of dispatches him. You know, he gets pulled around like Indiana Jones. And then he manages to get, what's his name, off the bike. Buzzsaw. And then they have the test of strength. The saw is a part of me. 
And it's going to be a part of you. Yeah. And then more one-liners. You keep it. That's all right. Keep it. And he, uh, <laughs> he bone tomahawks him. And, you know. Did you like the voice going up as the, he's the getting The high cut? operatic yell. I thought about that when <laughs> I was watching him. It was like, comical. Oh. Yeah, it was comical. You know. I'm just thinking everybody watching him on the tapes in the studio. Yeah. On, on the TVs. And so now another stalker down, but a stalker is also stalking <laughs> Mendez and Weiss. So Weiss cracks the code, but just as he's cracking the code, and after he tells Amber to memorize the numbers, which, because, you know, you have to have a backup, uh, Dynamo comes in with his light brights and he shocks. Shocker. <laughs> Weiss, who dies, I guess. Um, didn't Amber get shocked too? She, yeah, she did. She not absorb she the did, brunt of it. Yeah, so she was uh, she was hit by some after she fled, but not a direct shot. And then Richard shows up. But Dynamo wants to take Amber outside and have his way with her. Yeah, you already and, get a creepy vibe from this guy. Oh, a hundred fucking percent. And then Richard shows up, uh, calls him light bulb, you know, more fucking one-liners from Arnold. Christmas tree. Yeah. And so Arnold starts running because he's a running man and Dynamo chases him in his Dynamo mobile. And like we were saying earlier, his head keeps popping out of the fucking roof. And then Richards runs up a hill. What makes Dynamo think that he can drive his mobile up the fucking hill? I don't know, but... For me, this is something I've always wanted to see in horror movies and other action movies. When anybody's on foot being chased by a vehicle, they always keep running along the road. They never decide to run into behind a tree or run up a hill. At least they finally do it in this movie. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. So Arnold runs up a hill, Dynamo follows him in his car, and it rolls over. And this is the chance where Arnold could kill him. And be done with him, but and he doesn't. More, more great Schwarzenegger acting at this part. I will not kill a helpless human being. Yeah. And uh, I like that the fact that Dynamo knows he's fucking beat, and so he keeps continually yelling out, Cut! Cut the cameras! Cut the cameras! Go to commercial! Have you had noticed that this show, if you're watching it at home, the editing is fucking brilliant, right? I mean, they get some shots that you have to ask yourself, how the fuck do they get those shots? The, uh, the footage in the chopper. Oh, it's like that all the way through the movie. <laughs> it is like that all the way through the movie. We get to see this like this on the screen. There's got to be a camera right there, right? That happens all the time in the movie. Oh, I know. Well, I know. And, and it, normally it doesn't bother me, but it drove me nuts with the fucking uh, helicopter footage. Well, talking, totally. about, talking about footage for a sec, did you catch in the very beginning of the movie when they were going over some stuff and they showed a commercial for the running man on a screen that they were actually showing scenes from the actual movie. Yeah. They were doing the promo for the running man. Yeah. A uh, buzzsaw scene is the same. And I think all of them, yeah. all the stalkers they that just, we know, they just took scenes yeah. from what was going to happen and put them into that commercial. Another thing that I read is in one of the scenes where they're, I don't know if it was the, edited version or the unedited version i think it was the edited version where they show the helicopters flying in and shooting that was from a 1976 king kong movie the 1976 king kong movie yeah jeff bridges jessica lang charles groden apparently so after dynamo is spared uh we have amber as she's walking away what happened to buzzsaw and what does richard say he has to split he had to split (laughs) 
So after the death of Buzzsaw and the incapacitation of Dynamo, Killian decides, you know, if you can't beat him, join him. And Laughlin dies too. Oh, yeah. yeah. I did like Laughlin's line of, you know, he's got it. You know, you got to do this, got to do this because I don't want to be the only asshole in heaven. Yeah, yeah, that was good. So we knew that Laughlin and Weiss weren't going to make it out of this, and they didn't. And so now the mission and the fate of the world is up to Richards and Amber, who knows this code. Regarding the code that Weiss gives Amber, would you have been able to memorize that code? Oh, fuck, I don't know. I know it ends in 17174. I think after like the third number, I've been like, oh, we're screwed. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. So now, after Laughlin and Weiss's death, uh, Mendez and Richard start to move on. And then Killian decides, you know, you can't beat him, join him. And so he gets a hold of Richard's and offers him a deal. You know, just like, you know, the bad guy is offering a good guy the deal because they know they're unstoppable. They know they're in trouble. You know, it happens all the fucking time. Uh, and I think this is probably Arnold's greatest line ever. No, I don't know if it's ever, but it's, this is this is where he's telling them, you know. Uh, is it the greatest line or the greatest delivery of a line? Oh, fuck, I don't know. But when he pulls down that camera and he tells Killian, you know, uh, I hope to live to see you sign that contract or something like that. And he goes, but I hope you left room in your stomach because I put my arm through it and I reap out your spine. And it's at that moment that Killian knows, oh, I'm fucked. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. The show is not going the way it's supposed to at all. Then Fireball is sent in. I think I fire. That's Jim Brown, right? Cleveland Brown, Jim Brown. Yeah. Fucking brilliant. NFL fame. Yeah. And Killian even comments during the pursuit that he's our number one rusher, which is he's a, he was a running back. So there you go. But I like the bit where he's sitting in the dressing room and the, the intercom comes on, you know, fireball to wardrobe fired. And the look he gives is like, yeah, motherfucker, it's my turn. And so he gets suited up. And first of all, it looks like he's wearing uh, one of those metal mesh diving suits that divers wear when they go swimming with sharks. And then he's got a jet pack and, you know, he's the fucking fire starter. What do you guys think of fireball? I liked his intro. I liked him going up on the stage and, and spraying the, uh, the flame across the audience like that. that 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 would be exciting if you're in the audience yeah oh for sure probably pretty fucking hot too yeah uh, if i had to rate my stalkers i don't i think i might put him as number two and again we get another mediocre chase uh but we get some more backstory uh this is where we find out that um there are no winners to the running man and that the three winners from last season are actually decomposing in what looks to be a locker room of some sort. Mm -hmm. But we've jumped over something that significant that happens in this story arc. What happens is we have Killian asking um, one of his guests, who do you think is going to get the next kill? It's the old lady that he's asking. Mm -hmm. Oh, right, 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 right. And she says, Ben Richards. And then, no, 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 no. What? No, not him. No. You have to say a stalker. Ben Richards. It, oh, and the, what does she say right after that? That boy is one mean motherfucker. Yeah, that's what I was waiting for. <laughs> Such a great moment. And you're right. It is. It, the crowd is starting to turn, right? And then, and then right after that, then it's out to the outside betting, and Richards is put up on the board. 100 to 1. He's 100 to 1, and that one guy wants $200. So since Richards does get the next kill... That guy should get twenty grand. 
if Te- technically if if he chooses to cash in at that time right he probably turns it around and puts it right back into the game oh maybe because you know <laughs> richard just took out fireball what did you guys think of the confrontation between fireball and our heroes it was okay i did like the scene where you know Arnold, Ben Richards basically knocks down the gasoline or whatever it is, the liquid, the flammable stuff, and Fireball walks through it. I thought that, you know, it looked a little hokey kind of the way it was digitally done. It kind of made for the scene for the character walking through the fire. How come his hair doesn't go up in flames? That's what I was thinking. I thought about that too, but I'm guessing he must put something in his hair. Flame retardant gel. Probably puts it on his eyebrows too. Yeah. Well, he's got to because, I mean, he walked through that motherfucking fire like it was nothing. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So they... Somehow they get split up and Fireball is now stalking Mendez and has her cornered. And then out of nowhere, Richard comes up and undoes a tube on the back of his tank. And this is the bit where we get Fireball in the corner and he's covered in gas and Richards has a flare. And what does he say? How about a light? And poof, he blows up. And that's the end of Fireball. And then what does he say afterwards? What a hothead. (laughs) So it's nonstop one-liners with Schwarzenegger in this one. Um, 80s action movie. So after all of this... What did you think of the lingering shot of the burning corpse they just kept the audience to stare at? Oh my God. I want to know where all these fucking cameras are. But yeah, they just hold on that and they watch him burn. (laughs) One of the things I kept thinking during that scene, and of course, they must be doing some creative editing. The shot of him about to burn up Amber, he just admits, you know, the three guys died. They obviously couldn't show that to the audience outside. So what are they showing and what are they cutting to? I guess they didn't have a commercial ready to go. I guess not. Or they have an on-site editor who runs around behind the contestants and says, no, let's get this. No, let's get that. One thing I was thinking about during this whole fireball scene and them running through whatever that factory or what locker room area, whatever it was, was how Amber was constantly talking, you know, nonstop of, I don't want to go that way. I don't want to go that way. I want to go this way. Just constantly. Imagine if you'd taken her character and put her for uh, Brigitte Nelson in Cobra. How different that movie would have been. Yeah, and I and I was going to get to that later on because I, out of the two female leads that we've seen so far, uh, Maria Cachito Alonso is miles above head Brigitte. and shoulders. Yeah, and so you put her in the Cobra, and it very well could be a different movie mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, she was good in this movie. Yeah, I. I thought everybody did a good job with what they were given. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And for what it was, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's fine. And in the meantime, uh, Mendez and Richard stumble into Mick's command center, which was in one of the areas of the show. It's one of those four zones. <laughs> and which was so close to the fucking uplink code that, I mean, they could have reached out and touched it. Yeah, if if Richards and Mendez could run... To where Mick was, Mick could have found the uplink code area. And so here is where Richards decides to get involved and he's going to help with the resistance. And um, I like the line that basically says, I thought you were looking for the exit door. I told him I'd be back. Yeah, right. And because he's complaining, right? Mick's telling them the plan. They're going to go in with the guns and they're going to try and take over the uplink so they can tell the world the truth. 
And, um, you know, Arnold's like, these guys can't go. They're not leaders, blah, blah, blah. And Mick's like, well, then fucking you lead them. And Arnold gets this big old smile on his face. With the viewership now cheering for Richards, Killian asks former stalker Captain Freedom to fight. When Freedom refuses, the network stages a battle of digitized stand-ins depicting Richards and Mendez being executed by Captain Freedom. Mendez and Richards see this on air. Using the access codes, the resistance storms the ICS control room and broadcasts the original footage of the Bakersfield massacre and the deceased runners to expose Killian and the government's lies. As the resistance fighters battle ICS security forces, Dynamo tries to rape Amber. However, a gun battle triggers the building's sprinklers, which electrocutes Dynamo. Richards confronts Killian who claims that the show appeases to the populace love of televised violence. Killian begs him to reconsider, and Richard forces Killian into a rocket-powered sled, sending him flying into the game zone and fatally crashing through a billboard. As the audience celebrates, Richards reunites with Mendez, departing the studio as the broadcasting network goes down. Roll credits. So, now we're in mixed command center and he's trying to get arnold to you know help him out with their uh fight you know he does eventually and in the meantime you got captain, captain freedom getting all kinds of pissed off he doesn't want to do this and you could tell he doesn't want to do it. i love when he comes out in that metal laser thingy that they had put him in it looks so hokey yeah and and what does he say there professor he says forget it i won't do it yeah, he, he he's done, you know. And I love that uh this is another Sven moment. Yeah, when when uh when Killian tells him to get him out of here and then what does Sven do? He just he just doesn't move at all, but finally when they make eye contact with each other, Sven just kind of sort of gives a, a raise of the eyebrow and a tilt of the head. Well, well right yeah. before that Killian says to him, "What? Did steroids make you deaf?" So Captain Freedom is out, and so they got to figure out how to end this thing because they know that Richards, he's fucking gone, or they just kind of gave up on him. Well, probably because they didn't have any more stalkers, but with all this camera footage and everything in the quadrants, how did they just, you know, disappear? Well, what they, what Richards kind of says, which is what would have happened is they were going to basically do this digitized fight and kill off Richards and kill off Mendez and then send in their troops to find them and just execute them. Oh, I see. What I want to know is when they digitized Mendez, at what point does she fall down? Because, I mean, Captain Freedom just kind of throws her around like a rag doll. And, I mean, they have to have the footage from somewhere. Well, the impression. Or is it that they use footage of other contestants and other shows and just puts their face on it? And if that's the case, if I'm the audience, I'd fucking call bullshit on that. That's basically what they did is they mapped the people's faces and they took it from, I guess, another doctor or uh, Captain Freedom killed another woman and they just put, you know, Mendez's face over that woman. I, in fact, I thought maybe they just, you know, they used someone who looked just like her. And then he snapped her neck like a chicken. <laughs> like a fucking chicken. <laughs> what do you think of the Captain Freedom fight? I thought it was underwhelming. I thought, you know, you had these two big powerhouses, but I also knew that we were running out of time if that makes sense the movie was going pretty well and you know after all those battles with all those stalkers you kind of get battle fatigue a little bit so this one 
like the other ones was just kind of underwhelming. I had read that uh, this was a really hard scene from the film, and this is my, why it might be so underwhelming, is that I guess Arnold is a lot shorter than Jesse the Body Ventura. And so they were trying this whole scene to make them seem like they were even, you know, even playing that they're almost the same size. So that's why you get all these weird angles and weird shots because they can't really show them together very well. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. And then we have Amanda. She watches this. Oh my gosh. Right. And I think this is what solidifies their, her and Richard's uh, determination that they want to join the resistance based on they have been killed, and as Richard says, they're not going to make it out alive. Right. I, I liked, uh, I forget well, who they're running for. Oh, I like when they're running from Fireball, not to take us back too far, but uh, Amber says, uh, we should have gone to Hawaii. And Arnold says, well, I had the shirt for it, but you fucked it up. <laughs> I thought that was funny. And so, yeah, they get to watch themselves die on TV, and, you know, Amber's like, we're fucking free. We can go wherever we want. And, you know, Richards explains, no, we're not. And then she comes up with the original footage of the Bakersfield massacre. I think I was like 15 or 16 at the time when I originally saw this movie. And when he asked, where did you hide that? I don't think I had a clue. I was like, where did she hide that? You're such a fucking liar. You knew exactly where she hid it. In her hoo-ha. How, when she got caught so quick... Was she able to hide that? That's what you're trying to figure out with this fucking movie? Maybe with she everything that's going on, that's what you're trying to figure out? Maybe it was her prison purse. So yeah, Amber uh, miraculously comes up with the unedited version of the Bakersfield Massacre, and they start making this tape. And The secret uplink works? Yeah, after the secret uplink works, uh, we cut back to the show. They're winding down. Richard Dawson's trying to say goodnight, whatever it is. And then they they start the the video uh, to announce that, you know, the new resistance is here. And they air all their little dirty laundry that they have. Yeah, all for everybody to see, which, you know, is another trope of action movies and kind of just movies in general. You know, you have this force that's oppressing you and you have the resistance and the resistance wants to get the message out there. I mean, Mm -hmm. four just pop into my head right off the bat. So anyways, we have this gun battle in the studio. Mayhem ensues. And then while this is going on, we have another team taking over the executive offices, which is led by Amber. The studios is led by Richards. And we get to the bit where Dynamo's not dead, and he's going to finish what he started with Mendez. Right. But what? here's my question, okay? He knocks her down, and they try to scramble for the gun. And then from the time he knocks her down, from the time they're scrambling for the gun, which is maybe one, two, three seconds tops, he already has his pants down. Yeah, what's up with that? He showed up. With just as tidy whities If you watch, and that's what's going to be my comment about it, is somewhere between being in the zone and being in the scene, he lost his pants. Because he, ha- he has his pants when we first cut to him on the hallway. No, I think when you get in the hallway, because one of the things I noticed last night when I was re-watching it, you cut to the hallway scene, he's in his tidy whities Oh. It looked like he fucking... No, I don't think he has pants in that scene, and that's what I thought was really, really odd about that scene. And you know John's good for looking for stuff like that. Yeah, but that doesn't mean he's always right. So he, uh, Dynamo tries to 
rape Amber again, and she gets the upper hand, and the sprinklers are set off, and so now he gets electrocuted. Okay, so if he didn't have his pants on coming in, whatever. But here's my other question. Doesn't she get electrocuted too? I was thinking, wouldn't there be puddles of water on the floor? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I would think so. Oh, for fuck's sakes. 80s action movies. What the fuck are you going to do? So, while this is going on, we're back into the uh, studios, and they managed to dispatch of the bad guys, and now it's just Richards and Killian, and you got to know going into this that this isn't going to be much of a fight, right? I mean, you can't really have a real satisfying conclusion with your protagonist and antagonist if the scales are so lopsided. Mm-hmm. Well, we have Sven show up. Uh, did you expect Richards and Sven to fight, or did you expect him to give that line and oh, walk I, away? Oh, I fully expected him to give that line and walk away, for sure. Yeah, I, I got to go score me some steroids. I did, like, I appreciated that whole walk-away sequence and that it, it kind of worked for that, because you said earlier on, the guy really didn't do much. No, he didn't. He was just kind of the head of security that, you know... Just looked intimidating. Yeah, he just yeah he just looked intimidating. So this scene with Killian, I thought, had some nice back and forth with Killian trying to explain this is the way it works, this is how it is, and then you know the whole thing with uh, Richards throwing him into the jet ski or jet car or whatever thing it is. Uh, I love the the line that they have where he says, "Drop dead, you bastard! Drop dead." You first? No. I don't do requests. Oh, fuck. Him and his fucking one-liners, I tell you. How did Richards know how to work the sled? And how did he know to bring down the cage that trapped Killian in it? Do you think there were some fucking executives in the control room or something that worked on the effects or, or do the practicals and said, you know what, that dude's a dick. Let's help him out. And they lowered the cage for him. The only thing I could think of, and I actually did think about that in one of my viewings, was that... This is the most popular show on the network, meaning that Richards has seen it. Maybe there was an instructional video while he was locked up. <laughs> now you're giving him too much credit. So uh, Killian, off, he's go, off he goes down through the tube, and he gets to the end of the tube, and he goes shooting right on through. There's no net to catch him, and he crashes into his own billboard, and we have that massive explosion. And what are you thinking right there? A, how the fuck did it get in the air because it comes off the ramp and skids on the fucking ground? And B, what fucking exploded? Was there a bomb on the fucking sled? Only thing I could think of is the gas tank for the jet. That big of an explosion? It was a little odd. It was, yeah, a little over-exaggerated. Like an over-the-top death in an 80s action movie? Of our bad guy, yeah. Yeah. What would you think, Professor? Maybe it was just a little exaggerated. A lot. Of course. It was ridiculous how big the explosion was. And then after Killian is killed, what does Schwarzenegger say? Well, that hit the spot. (laughs) Then we have that little romantic moment afterwards. Oh, here it comes. And yeah. Okay. And let's talk about this romantic moment for a second. She gets kidnapped by this guy. She, okay, gets saved by him and they have little moments here and there. But after they kiss... Which really, really made me think Arnold should not be a romantic lead. But he does the same thing with his hand. He grabs her by the neck and escorts her down the fucking hallway. Who does that? Didn't that look weird? I mean, it was like uncomfortable weird. If I'm Maria Cachita Alonso, I'm like, what the fuck did I just sign up for? 
So yeah, that's that future. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that was the running man. One thing I thought I'd just throw out there because, you know, I like to make things depressing is the actor that played Dynamo, uh, Arland Van Lith. Do you know that he died of a heart attack two months after making the movie and never made it to the screening? Yeah, that's got to suck. Yeah, he was only 34 years old. This was his last movie. Yeah. So did either of you guys have a favorite stalker? Or if you didn't have a favorite stalker, did you have a least favorite stalker? For me, I would have to say Buzzsaw was my favorite stalker, only because, like I, you know, I said, I thought their fight scene was kind of one of the the best of the movie. Uh, beyond that, maybe Fireball, but uh, least favorite, I think, probably was Sub Zero. For me, I, I would go, go with Sub Zero. He's my least favorite. I didn't necessarily have a, a favorite one. But the the uh, the over the topness of Captain Freedom, I appreciated the energy that that character has uh, and and his enthusiasm for what it is that he does, and so that cheesiness, I think I would probably pick him for my top one, you know. But it's not a very big hill to climb. I think that my least uh, favorite was Dynamo. The light brights and his tidy whities kind of took me out of the whole thing. Oh, and his fucking cool car, right? <laughs> his total cool car. And I think, uh, I think my favorite would be Fireball because he can fucking fly, right? And he's got a lot of fire. You know, <laughs> it's not like fire in Mount Doom, but it's pretty fucking close. Wait, did you say Mount Doom? Hmm. Really? And now it's time for John's. <laughs> moment now is the point in our podcast where i like to take whatever movie we're reviewing and compare it to lord of the rings because well every movie compares to lord of the rings ben richards our frodo lives in a world under the watchful eye of the tyrannical government at first he is content to go about his job until he's called upon to stand up for a higher value This is what puts him on his journey and takes him to Mordor, otherwise known as the Zones, within the the game, where he carries with him unknowingly a spark that will fire a revolution to take back their world from Sauron, who is in control, or in this case, the government who uses the media, much like Sauron uses the ring, to keep control over the population. Because Killian works for the network, which works for the government, He represents Sauron the White. The Stalkers represent the Nazgul, a.k.a. Ringwraiths, a.k.a. the Black Riders, who go after our heroes. They are sent out to stop Frodo and his fellowship in order to protect the One Ring, which again is the network. One Ring to rule them all. One popular game show to keep the masses docile and subjugated. The show is the Precious. Currently, the show is dormant, not gaining any ratings until Richard shows up and battles Richards for control, even trying to corrupt him at one point when Killian offers him a job as a stalker. But in the end, our Frodo is able to destroy the ring when he, brings, when he helps bring down the network, freeing the world from the media influence. Along the way, he has three members of his fellowship, with Laughlin and Wise as our Marion Pippin and Mendez as our Sam. All three help Frodo along on his journey, not only putting him on the right path, but making it possible for him to destroy the ring. 
It's Mendez who in the end supplies the final code and the unedited footage that allows the ring to be cast into Mount Doom, much like Sam helped Frodo. Lastly, I just want to throw this out there that this movie did contain a golem in the form of Captain Freedom. He lingers around the ring, which is basically the show, craving the power it once gave him, which in this case is popularity and fame. He desires the ring to favor him once again, but is constantly denied. In the end, he kills his own character when he won't be part of the show in the same fashion that Gollum kills himself when he goes over into the lava in Mount Doom. And that is my comparison of Running Man to Lord of the Rings. Bring on the grades. For me, I think that it's not all that strong. I I thought that you have uh, a weak Sam in uh, Amber Mendez. Amber, she... I felt like she didn't necessarily do anything to help Richards along on the journey. And uh, the uh, Saruman, the white, I can see Killian being like that, but I, uh, I I just don't see too many other parallels. I am giving a grade of a weak C-, minus, passing, but not by much. Fucking hey, bud, you passed. Look at you. Look at you. Um, I like the Saruman bit i like the uh nazgul bit uh i think that yeah mary and pippin and uh, sam are a little of a a little bit of a stretch but i mean what else do you got i mean you you went with what you had i like the comparison to i like the golem and captain uh, Captain freedom Freedom Mm. bit i thought i thought that was pretty good i'm going to give you a c well, thank you. I almost made Weiss, Laughlin, and Mendez all Sam because they're without all three of those characters, our Frodo wouldn't have accomplished his me- his mission. Yeah, I didn't ask. <laughs> and that was John's. Moment. All right. So, what do you guys think? You guys are ready to rate this bitch? We should rate this bitch. Uh, Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that is cinematic gold. You are ready to watch this movie anytime. It is so good. You'll sit and watch it whenever somebody says, yeah, yeah, I want to watch that. You want to watch that with me? Yes, I do. A one fuck movie is a movie where you have seen it and you're never going to see it again. For whatever reason you chose to see it, it was something that you were curious to see but it's something that you have no desire to see it again. There's nothing rewatchable to you. And what's a zero? A zero is a movie where you want to say, you owe me two hours of my life back to whoever it was that made you watch this because that was a shitty movie. And in other words, we just don't give a fuck. Uh, I can see by the way you're propped up, you want to go first, sir, guy? I will be happy to go first because I figure everyone's not heard enough of me yet. All right. I fucking love it. Let's hit it. Running Man gave us a quick paced glimpse into reality TV to come. It's it's basically a super saturated, cheesy one-liner movie that gives us everything that we love about a typical 80s action flick. It works. The movie is fun. It doesn't make you think too hard, and it just is what it is. It's a vehicle for Schwarzenegger with his one lines and just his persona that he portrays in a lot of movies. Now, when it comes to our checklist of things that we look for in an 80s movie, strong hero with quotable lines. Yep. 
crazy level supervillain that the hero can't beat. Well, there is, I don't, wouldn't say that our supervillain is that level, but the stalkers sure come in kind of at that level. A montage, well, I don't remember any montages in this film, but I don't know if it would have even worked in this film. A villain speech, you can't get Killian to shut up. A final showdown, yeah, but it's over pretty quick. An oh crap for our bad guy, maybe the first time you see it. After that, you start questioning just like you did, Don, about the explosion and sliding and taking off. It didn't live up to what I think it could have been. Franchise potential? I don't know if I see franchise, but it definitely did lead to spinoffs and reality shows like American Gladiators. And it came in at 101 minutes, which gets it close to that 90-minute runtime that we were looking for. High body count? We had, I believe... 32 deaths in this movie that we saw on screen. Uh, This does not include all the ones off screen at the massacre, as well as the ones that were already killed, Harold or the, uh, the guys in the locker room. So taking that all into account for my fuck rating, I'm going to give this movie 3.25 fucks. 3.25 fucks from the comic book guy. Do you want to go or do you want me to go? You know what? I'm willing to go next. I'll go. All right. Fire away, Professor. Well, let's talk a little bit about The Running Man. The Running Man is a classic Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. You hear The Running Man and you instantly think of that yellow spandex that Schwarzenegger wears in the movie. And I think that it plays itself off as a a typical 80s action movie it, it sits right in the middle of the genre even though it doesn't necessarily fulfill all of the things that you would hope to see in an 80s action movie i feel like the heart of it is there you have lots of cheesy one-liners you have people that are being killed in elaborate ways you also have a, a tendency to have somebody that is in a perilous situation and for the most part, I, I didn't necessarily see a, a lot of v- violence in, in a gratuitous way. There was violence, of course, but there wasn't necessarily gratuitous violence. And people have a tendency to die in a lot of different ways, not necessarily just gunfire, but in different ways, you know, with different uh, pieces of, you know, whatever it might be. You, you ha- we have the saw we have the electricity, we have the barbed wire. And so I, I thought that, you know, this really feels like a, a movie that you don't need to take too seriously. And I think it's a good uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. It's definitely not my favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, but it is something that I feel does a pretty good job at feeling the essence of it's a game show. And I really enjoyed how it was portrayed showing the masses enjoying this silly show. And you know what? I'm willing to go along for the ride because it seems like a pretty fun movie. The tone isn't necessarily all that somber, bleak, or dark. Killian, I think, really makes this movie. Without him, it's not going to be the running man. Having him on screen as much as he was, I felt like he was every bit as much of an essence of the story arc as Richard's was. And the two of them together, even though they spend very little time together on screen, I thought that both of them together really made the movie work for being a fun, you know, lighthearted, if you will, action movie. The uh, the other supporting characters, I thought that they did fine. 
and I enjoyed having uh, our, our different characters as over the top as they were. As I've stated previously, you don't have that much time. You need to have kind of sort of over the top people a little bit because you don't have that much time on screen. And so they need to be instantly identifiable. And because of that, they're kind of two dimensional. They're not necessarily rich in their characters. They're very cardboard, if you will. But in general, I think that this is a pretty good movie, and it is definitely something that I think that Arnold can look back and say that that is an Arnold movie in its classic 80 cents. I'm giving this 2.75 fucks. 2.75 fucks from the professor. So that just leaves you, Don. Oh, I guess it does, doesn't it? Uh, Running Man, 1987. Like you were saying, Professor, this is one of the classic Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. I think that Arnold is charming in this, and I appreciate his one-liners. And, you know, for a long time, um, it, for me, it was growing up, is it, were you an Arnold guy or were you a sly guy? And I think to this day I'm still a sly guy, but that doesn't mean that I don't enjoy Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. This particular one, uh, it has problems, I guess. And it's weird to, I mean, it's weird to say that because we're talking about, you know, over the top this, over the top that. But some things I just, I just couldn't, you know, let go. For one, the stalkers. There could have been so much more to it and there could have been more action and we could have seen more hand-to-hand fights, this, that, and the other. But this film was shot really dark and a lot of it sometimes is hard to see. And I get that because you can get away with more if it's dark and the audience will just buy it. But for me, um, these gladiator scenes were just kind of mediocre at best. And from Sub-Zero all the way down to Fireball, they just kind of, they showed up and then they were done and they were gone. And I get it. It's an hour and, you know, 41 minutes. uh, So you can't really do a whole lot there. But I, I guess at the end of the day, I was just expecting more. And, you know, Arnold's one-liners are fine. They kind of grow on you, and they kind of even grate on you at the same time as time goes on. As far as the villain, Killian was a good villain. He wasn't very um, intimidating, and he wasn't foreboding. And he's nothing like the Night Stalker. Slasher. And, you know, so I, I think that the villain... He was okay in The Running Man. He, he was just okay. Overall, it's a fun movie. It is memorable. I remember when I saw it, it will always be one of those movies where you're going, oh, yeah, The Running Man. I'm super happy it's on this list, and I am giving The Running Man three fucks. Wow, we're all pretty much in agreement. That doesn't happen very often. So with a score from the professor of 2.75 and 3.25 from the comic book guy and a three from myself, that gives the running man an average fuck rating of three fucks with Cobra coming in at 2.6 and the running man coming at 3.0. We now have a leader in the race for the eighties greatest action flicks. According to the three guys. According to the three guys. And clearly, this is better than Cobra. I wouldn't say clearly. I rated Cobra higher. Okay, but clearly this is better than Cobra. I wouldn't say clearly. Well, according to Ken and I. Okay, but 
think about, you know, there's a lot more action. There's a lot more one-liners. Granted, we don't have a car chase to it, and we don't necessarily have a nefarious villain, but our villain, I think, is a stronger villain in this one. I have oh, to I, agree with I, you. Oh, I strongly disagree with both of you. I like this villain better, mainly because, kind of like you pointed out, Ken, he has a lot more screen time. He has a lot more great one-liners, and I felt like he had a lot more power than the Night Slasher. He had more control. I thought the Night Slasher was uh, more menacing, and I thought every time he was on screen, I was uneasy. When Killian's on screen, he's just another fucking character to me. He's just another corporate megalomaniac who wants to take over the world. You know what I mean? I think there were more stakes with the Night Slasher, but that's just me. All right, so this last week we reviewed The Running Man, which was Schwarzenegger, and the week before that we did Cobra, which was Stallone. That leaves us Jean-Claude, Kurt Russell, Chuck Norris, and Patrick Swayze. If you want to know which movie we are going to review next, be sure to check out our website or any other of the social media platforms that we are on. And speaking of which, John, where can they find us? They can find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where we post all of our podcasts, show notes, and movie trivia. You can also, as Don mentioned, find us at any of the social media websites, as well as any place that posts podcasts. All right. I just want to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for always listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And thanks to everybody who else listens to us and supports us. If you listen to us on Apple, be sure to go and give us five stars. It really helps the podcast grow. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. And if you'd like to be a contestant on The Running Man, send a self-addressed stamped envelope to ICS Talent Hunt, care of your local affiliate, and then go out and do something really despicable. I'm Ken. And have a good night and take care. I'll tell you what I think of it. I live to see you eat that contract, but I hope you leave enough room for my spit because I'm going to ram it down your stomach and break your goddamn spine. All this time I was fucking around with the quote and you couldn't have picked your mic then? Nope. And you know who the goalie is? Do you remember who the goalie is? Mm Mm-mm. Whoa. Keanu Reeves? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think it's like 1987. It's fucking brilliant. I love that movie. I love that movie. Is that the extent of your Keanu Reeves impression? Guns. We need lots of guns. I just really wish I knew what I was supposed to do. You're the one, Neo. The one what? I don't know what to do. I spent one movie trying to figure it out. And then I spent the other two movies trying to figure it out. And I still fucking haven't figured it out. <laughs> God. Populist. Doesn't oh. matter. He has to say it again now. Yeah. Yeah, so say it again. You guys fucking suck. Captain, I was going to come. Captain Obvious picks her up. Uh, Remember, I can break your neck like a chicken. Because <laughs> he just showed her by lifting up the fucking thing, right? Um, How many times have you said that to me? Ooh, me? Yeah. To you? Yeah. All the fucking time. Now, <laughs> the real question is, who had the better car, Cobra or Dynamo? Are you fucking high? Are you doing fucking drugs before the show? Are you going to make me pee in a cup again? I fucking just might. All right, fuck off. Good night. <laughs>